Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello, Sixpackers, and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, Episode 40. I've witnessed a lot of changes in our culture and society in my lifetime, and none of them that I can recall are any good. Right has become wrong, and wrong has become right. Things are more confusing now than they've ever been. When I was a kid, everyone in America just accepted that the Ten Commandments were our guide to know the difference between right and wrong. Even atheists, because the commandments have natural laws their basis. But the emerging culture of the 60s threw out the Ten Commandments like the paper wrapping of a fast food hamburger, relegating them to the dustbin of history. Now the culture tells us what is right and wrong in society, and that's led to the sort of fascism where the cultural elites tell us what to think and how to act. But human beings aren't made to live like that. Our very nature causes us to have a longing for liberty, and fascism acts against our natural desire for liberty. So the moral confusion that's prevalent in society today is never going to work. We're going to end up destroying ourselves and America if this fascism keeps up. Every single issue the cultural elites try to force down our throats has to do with their two greatest enemies, authority and life. The cultural elites want no authority greater than themselves, and they realize they can never have complete control unless they dictate all life issues. Ultimately, though, that's never going to happen. It can't happen. It's impossible. I'll explain why when we come back. Can you see yourself making converts? Very few books have ever been written to teach the mechanics of practical Catholic evangelization, something all Catholics are obliged to do. Of the books available, none teach you a step-by-step method for actually cultivating an inquirer, then taking that inquirer all the way to the baptismal font. Until now, nobody is more qualified to teach Catholic evangelization than Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Joe Sixpack has made hundreds of converts since 1988 in small group and one-on-one venues, and 84 of them are his adult godchildren. Consequently, Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, is a virtual treasure trove of how-to resources for evangelization. In the Lay Evangelist's Handbook, Joe Sixpack will show you how to become one of God's rock stars of evangelization, what the two primary obligations are for all Catholics that most people don't know, how to begin the journey to becoming a saint, the actual mechanics of productive evangelization, the dangers of nice Catholicism, how to hear God laugh, what to do step-by-step to win over a convert, and much, much more. Get your copy of the Lay Evangelist's Handbook by Joe Sixpack, The Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo. The reason why the cultural elites can never succeed in their fascist efforts to control us with an authority that originates within themselves and causes them to dictate thoughts and behavior to the rest of us is that all authority comes from God. All life comes from Him too, for that matter. 
Since the cultural elites arrogantly think that authority originates with them and that they have control over all life issues, both authority and morality regarding life are illegitimate. In order to determine what is legitimate, let's look at it logically. So we don't leave anyone out of this discussion. Let's remove God completely from the picture and pretend he doesn't exist for the moment. We can still know the difference between right and wrong through natural law. Natural law is what we can observe from nature. Natural law is our intuitive knowledge of right and wrong. For example, we intuitively know that it's wrong to steal, murder, or tell a lie. But let's get specific with an example. When we look at all animal life, from squirrels to humans, we can see that all species of animal life are male and female. From our observation, we can reason that the existence of male and female is to propagate and perpetuate the species. In other words, to be fruitful and multiply. Therefore, since our reason tells us that natural law dictates the generation of life, we can deduce that any sexual activity that blocks the possibility of generating life is a violation of natural law. Anything, absolutely anything, that violates natural law is a perversion of nature, which is where we get the term pervert. Violating natural law has its consequences. If our sexual activity can't result in the possibility of human life, we don't produce enough children to support previous generations, such is the case today in the Western world. We're not producing enough children. Indeed, we're only producing about half as many children as we need to support our society. Now let's bring God back into the picture. God has taken many aspects of natural law, which he authored, and elevated them to the level of divine law. Just as there are consequences for violating natural law, there are also consequences for violating divine law. The difference is, when we violate natural law, there are natural consequences, but when we violate divine law, there are both natural and supernatural consequences. This makes violation of some natural laws more consequential and with greater perversions. Since we're dealing with right and wrong regarding authority in life, let's begin by taking a look at the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother. It implies much more than it says on its face. The fourth commandment obliges us to respect our parents, obey them in all that isn't sinful, and help them in their needs. According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the divine fatherhood is the source of human fatherhood. This is the foundation and the honor owed parents. The respect of children, whether minors or adults, for their father and mother is nourished by the natural affection born of the bond uniting them. It is required by God's commandment. Adult children are obligated to continue in the respect of their parents and are to give both material and moral support when their parents are in need. Parents, on the other hand, are to provide for the spiritual and physical needs of their children. The Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us the role of parents in education is of such importance that it is almost impossible to provide an adequate substitute. What this means is obvious, but I'll state it a little differently so no one can say they didn't understand. Parents are the ones responsible for their children's education in every aspect. The law says a child has to attend school, but don't think that relieves you of any responsibilities. 
Too many parents today seem to think they can just pawn off their kids on the school and expect the teachers to teach their kids everything from reading and math to what's right and wrong. But it doesn't work like that. You, you're responsible for all that. Not the teacher, not the principal, not your priest, nor the CCD class at your parish. You're responsible for teaching your kids. The school or parish can give your kids the basic information, but it's up to you to see to it that the kids learn and apply what they've learned. And if one of these authorities makes the bold move of disciplining your child when the kid misbehaves, it's your job to back the authority of figure, not to automatically assume your child's being picked on or unjustly treated. When I was a kid, children couldn't get away with misbehavior and disrespect the way they do today. I recall misbehaving only once when I was a schoolboy. The teacher sent me to the principal's office. The principal took me back to the teacher to find out if what I'd told him was true. Of course, he found out that I'd left out a few bits pertinent information. While the teacher stood with us in the hall, the principal gave me three swats with the paddle. At the close of school that day, the teacher gave me a note to take home to, that explained what I'd done, and she told me I had to bring the note back the next day with one of my parents' signature. When I got home, Mom gave me a stern lecture. When Dad got home, the principal's spanking would have been welcome in place of the one I got from Dad. And that's the way it should be. And that leads us to Dad's. In our modern culture, fatherhood is thought of as the ability to sire a child and nothing more. This attitude isn't in keeping with common sense, natural law, or divine law. I'm a very strong advocate of the proper role of the father in parenting. Unless I'm working in small groups in my evangelistic endeavors, I work only with men. Therefore, I supplement what I teach on the fourth commandment by focusing on the duties and responsibilities of a father. I stress that if a father doesn't discipline his children now, a criminal court judge will only be too happy to discipline the child in the future. I always recommend men read Be a Man by Father Larry Richards and Into the Breach by Bishop Thomas Olmsted. The fourth commandment forbids disobedience toward our parents, and every form of disrespect, unkindness, stubbornness, spitefulness, wishing them evil, and violence. Just a casual observation today shows that many parents don't teach their kids these things. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says God's fourth commandment also enjoins us to honor all who for our good have received authority in society from God. It clarifies the duties of those who exercise authority as well as those who benefit from it. Lawful authority includes teachers, employers, public officials, and church leaders. Now let's mention workers and their employers. Workers are to respect their employer and to serve him faithfully according to their agreement. That means to do the job qualitatively and quantitatively you're being paid to do. You don't spend company time sending emails and texts or playing around with Facebook. And things that belong to your employer stay at your place of work. Just because your employer gives you all the paper clips you need doesn't mean you can take a box of them home. Employers are to treat their workers with respect and fairness, bearing in mind that the authority God has given them is limited. Actually, a boss's authority is very limited. For example, the boss shouldn't send a secretary to get a cup of coffee if that isn't in her job description. 
Bosses only have the authority to tell an employee what to do insofar as it impacts the employment agreement made at the time of hiring. Now, just a brief few words about citizenship under the Fourth Commandment. A citizen must love and be in the service of his country, obey just laws, respect the legitimate authority, pay his taxes, exercise his right to vote, and defend his country. In other words, just be a patriot. That doesn't mean you've got to be in love with your country's government, only the nation itself. John Paul II was a passionate patriot of Poland. However, he was in a constant struggle with the Polish communist government. He loved Poland but despised the Polish government. And that's how this patriot feels about America. Now listen to what I'm telling you here with regard to voting under Catholic moral law. If, after responsibly informing yourself of the political issues and candidates, you discover that a candidate is an enemy of religion or of the common good, it's a sin to vote for the candidate. Such a vote equates to voluntary participation in that candidate's evil. A common example in the modern political scene would be to vote for a candidate who favors legalized abortion over a candidate who's pro-life. Now let's move on to life issues under the Fifth Commandment, which is, you shall not commit murder. The Fifth Commandment forbids intentional homicide, abortion, euthanasia, child abuse, sterilization, suicide, and all that can lead to physical or spiritual harm to yourself or others, such as anger, fighting, revenge, drunkenness, drug abuse, torments inflicted on mind or body, hatred, and bad example. I'm going to touch on each one of these individually. First, you need to understand that there's a difference between killing and murder, or homicide. Intentional homicide is the unjust taking of an innocent human life. It can be lawful to take the life of another person when there's no other means to defend your own life or the life of another. That's killing. St. Thomas Aquinas says, The act of self-defense can have a double effect, the preservation of one's own life and the killing of the aggressor. The one is intended, the other is not. In other words, when engaged in self-defense, your intention can't ever be the taking of an unjust aggressor's life, and you can only use the minimal force necessary to stop the aggressor. Of course, if this still results in his death, it's legitimate. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says legitimate defense can be not only a right but a grave duty for one who is responsible for the lives of others. The defense of the common good requires that the unjust aggressor be rendered unable to cause harm. Regarding this and capital punishment, the Church tells us that she does not exclude recourse to the death penalty if this is the only possible way of effectively defending human lives against the unjust aggressor. However, she continues to say that if non-lethal means are sufficient to defend and protect people's safety from the aggressor, authority will limit itself to such means. Now, due to the advanced state of penology in the West, this essentially rules out the use of capital punishment in Occidental society, but it still doesn't make it immoral. The most hotly debated topic of the last 50 years has been abortion. Abortion is the intentional killing of a pre-born child at any time after conception. The God-given authority of a parent does not extend to the taking of the life of the pre-born child. Abortion, in any form, is always a mortal sin. The Church has taught from her inception that abortion is morally evil. 
abortion is never justified no matter what the cause of the child's conception. It's easy to understand how a mother would be inclined to not want a child conceived in the case of rape or incest, but the child still has as much right to life as the mother. The church is very sympathetic to such involuntary mothers, and many organizations and agencies within the church are set up to provide for counseling, temporal and medical assistance, and adoption as a moral alternative to abortion. The church automatically imposes the penalty of excommunication on any person who procures an abortion. This penalty extends to anyone who aids in its procurement or otherwise participates in any way with an abortion. This automatic excommunication extends to Catholic politicians who are pro-choice. And if a person is an excommunicant, when that person dies, he goes before God, already judged by his church. However, there is something called indirect abortion. Indirect abortion isn't really abortion at all. Indirect abortion occurs when a surgical procedure is performed on the mother for a serious pathological condition, in which case the intention is to save the mother's life. In such a case, the death of the fetus is then an incidental and secondary consequence, which would have been avoided if possible. For example, a woman may find out she has uterine cancer at the same time she learns she's pregnant. She has a right to save her own life by having her uterus removed. Unfortunately, this causes the death of the baby. A woman isn't obligated to save her life over the child's. St. Gianna Mola, who was a doctor herself, was told that she had to have surgery to save her own life, but her baby would die. She chose to sacrifice her own life for that child's. Her canonization, incidentally, was the only one in history where her husband and children were present. Another big thing today is physician-assisted suicide. It's often called mercy killing, but there's nothing merciful about it. It's also called euthanasia. Euthanasia is immoral because life is taken with the excuse of avoiding pain, shortening suffering, or eliminating someone who's supposedly useless to society because of old age, defect, or illness. Only God can decide when life should end. Christ sanctified suffering on the cross. For those who suffer and aren't Catholic, the Holy Spirit can use that suffering to bring about the suffering person's conversion. A person who's already a Catholic can unite his suffering with the crucified Christ, thereby making his prayers very powerful and honorable in the sight of Christ. Direct suicide is a mortal sin because God alone has the right over life and death. When a person commits suicide, he attempts to displace God and his rightful authority. Of course, the victim of a suicide who suffers from elements that restrict the free will may not be responsible for his act in the sight of God. For example, a person with a psychosis or deep depression obviously doesn't have a fully free will. Such a person would probably not be culpable. But what about someone who sacrifices his or her life heroically? For example, a soldier who throws himself on an enemy hand grenade and sacrifices his life to save the lives of other soldiers who would have been killed by that grenade. Is that person guilty of suicide? Of course not. Jesus actually lauded this behavior. He told us that no greater love was possible than that a man lay down his life for another. Of course, that's what Jesus did for all of us on the cross. 
The 5th, 6th, and 9th commandments overlap a bit, and I'll cover those things extensively next week. However, since we've talked about medical procedures in this episode, I want to talk briefly about sterilization. When done with the intention of preventing conception, sterilization is always sinful. Direct sterilization removes, for selfish reasons, the procreative power given for the generation of human life. Indirect sterilization isn't sinful because it's done to correct a serious pathological condition. After having checked with medical authorities, I can tell you definitively that there's no medical reason for a man to have a vasectomy. If you've had a vasectomy, since many of them are reversible, you're obligated to have the reversal procedure done. The final forbidden item mentioned at the beginning was scandal. The news media's definition of scandal and the church's are two very different critters. The Catholic Church says that scandal is giving another person the occasion of committing sin through your words, actions, or omissions. For example, you'd be committing scandal if you told an off-color joke and another person was even tempted to think that that's the way all Catholics behave. That pretty much covers the basics of the Fourth and Fifth Commandments. I hope you've learned some good things that'll help you to better form your conscience and make going to confession with greater regularity easier for you. Next week's episode is one you'll definitely want to listen to. I'll be talking about all things sexual when I cover the Sixth and Ninth Commandments. See you then. Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to LifeSite News. Last week, a transgender barista cursed at and kicked a 23-year-old female regular customer out of the coffee shop where he works after discovering she is a pro-life, pro-family activist. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to the Western Journal. It was so clear even a United Nations liberal could have understood it. In an appearance at a gathering at the U.N. to promote religious tolerance, President Donald Trump hearkened to the founding of the United States in declaring his support for freedom of worship around the world. 
Then he pledged some serious money toward helping promote religious liberty and preserve religious sites worldwide. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick pick number three. Hats off to Flag and Cross. A five-year-old boy with autism was labeled a sexual predator for hugging his classmates, his grandma says. It doesn't get any more ridiculous than that. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick pick number two. Hats off to LifeSite News. A judge rules it's not defamation to label Christian ministries hate groups. A federal judge has rejected D. James Kennedy Ministries' lawsuit against the far-left Southern Poverty Law Center, ruling that labeling the Christian organization a hate group falls within the protections of the First Amendment. So much for defamation. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick pick number one. Hats off to the National Catholic Register. U.S. Secretary of State Michael Pompeo spoke out about China's religious freedom violations during a visit to the Vatican. Unfortunately, it fell on deaf ears. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is a welcome visitor to parishes across the United States every Sunday through his What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Using humor, immutable truth, and ignoring political correctness, Joe Sixpack helps the average Catholic in the pew better know and understand our holy and ancient faith in a way that is refreshing, awe-inspiring, and makes readers chest-pounding proud to be Catholic. And readers love it. Now you can enjoy Joe's work by getting the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It book series. In fact, get two copies of each book, one for yourself and one for your pastor. Then your priest can decide if he wants to help your fellow parishioners by subscribing to the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Get your copy of the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Warning to snowflakes. If he thinks it, he says it. It's time now for Joe Sixpack's Common Sense Catholic Commentary. I absolutely love that Jesus established the priesthood and that he vested the fullness of the priesthood in the apostles and their successors. What I don't love, what I'm not a big fan of, are the vast majority of our bishops and the USCCB along with its burgeoning bureaucracy. What brings on my little rant here is a combination of headlines in recent weeks about some of our illustrious bishops. I read where one bishop was disappointed that his state voted in physician-assisted suicide despite his best efforts to stop it. Another bishop was disappointed that his state refused to place restrictions on abortions when a bill he supported was before the legislature. Several other bishops lamented that they recently learned they inherited priestly sex scandals from their predecessors, and while one bishop was lamenting, he was accused of a scandal of his own. The American Catholic hierarchy shouldn't find themselves at all surprised when things go against them. They have absolutely no credibility with lawmakers, politicians, nor the general public anymore. 
Even worse, they have no credibility with most mass-attending Catholics either. They've earned their lack of credibility, so they need to own it. They won't own it, though. Somehow it's our fault that no one finds them credible. They blame it on anti-Catholicism and the demise of America's Judeo-Christian culture. The bishops are absolutely right to point out that anti-Catholicism is alive and well in America and that we're now living in a post-Christian era. But it's not our fault. It's their fault. The bishops get caught with their pants down, sometimes literally, and try to blame us for it. We've had to face scandal after scandal after scandal in both the institutional church and the priesthood, and rather than accept responsibility for them and rededicate themselves to their role as bishops, they make it our fault. Adding to the angst of the laity, every single week they ask us to give them more and more money. The bishops in our country, for the most part, seem to favor most of the Democratic Party's agenda. They think LGBT is okay, tell their laity that contraception is acceptable, refuse to fully catechize their laity, want completely open borders, and they use our money through the USCCB to carry abortion, contraception, and condom use to the poor in America and around the world. I wasn't there, so I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty certain that isn't what Jesus had in mind when he commissioned the apostles and their successors. For 50 years, our bishops have been radical social warrior politicians instead of bishops. I'm all for genuine Catholic social justice, but when that supplants actually teaching the Catholic faith and saving souls, our bishops find themselves working against Christ rather than for him. In the days before mandatory celibacy, Paul tells the young bishop Timothy, if anyone aspires to the office of bishop, he desires a noble task. Now a bishop must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, sensible, dignified, hospitable, an apt teacher, no drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, and no lover of money. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? This is how St. Paul says a bishop should be. With very few and notable exceptions, none of the American bishops are above reproach, apt teachers, nor shun the love of money. This isn't acceptable, and we lay people shouldn't take it anymore. Let me backtrack a little bit. For all I know, all of our bishops are what Paul calls apt teachers. With the exception of a few bishops, though, they haven't bothered to teach at all in the last 50 years. Even though most Americans have never been Catholic, there was a time in this country when nearly every American depended on our bishops for more guidance. Throughout the 50s and 60s, Archbishop Fulton Sheen was perhaps the best-known bishop in America because he had radio and television shows that drew as many as 30 million people regularly at a time when there certainly weren't 30 million Catholics in America. I once had a convert who told me her Protestant parents would rush home from work on the night Sheen's Life is Worth Living television show was on so they could do everything they needed to get done before the show came on, because they didn't want to miss a minute of it. Nearly all Americans felt that way. 
In fact, Sheen was so popular that the media nicknamed him America's Bishop. And since he was in complete doctrinal and moral agreement with every other bishop in this country, both Catholic and non-Catholic Americans paid close attention to everything the bishop said. Contrast that to today. On the rare occasion that you ever even hear a bishop, he's usually promoting some sort of heresy, such as the case with the Cardinal Archbishop of Chicago and the Bishop of San Diego. Or you're being lectured on accepting illegal immigrants or racism or climate change. Again, I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus had in mind when he established the Episcopal office. It's time we return to the way things used to be, and it's you and me who will have to affect that change. Our bishops will step up to the plate if we make them. The first thing to be done is to find other Catholics throughout your diocese who are just as fed up as you are and organize them into a group. The second thing to be done is to send a letter to your bishop, both individually and as an organized body. Tell him you're sick of not being taught the fullness of the Catholic faith, and you're sick to death of the scandals rocking the church. Tell him that until he begins teaching the faith forcefully and with regularity, and gets his own house in order by commanding and enforcing that his priest toe the line, you will make certain that not a penny of your money goes to his diocese. The third thing you need to do is confront every single Catholic layman and priest when you see or hear them do anything that's contrary to the faith. Admonishing the sinner is one of the spiritual works of mercy anyway. Things have gone too far to worry about being nice. Above all else, pray to Jesus for his mercy on us. Pray to Mary asking her to beg her son for that mercy. Pray to St. Michael the Archangel to defend us and the church. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. One day a priest was saying his prayers in the church when a carelessly dressed woman came rushing in in an agitated state. She approached the priest and said, Father, I'm miserable. Will you please hear my confession right now? Without waiting for the priest to answer, she began telling the priest why she was so urgent about going to confession. Last night, she began, my mother sent me to the closet for a package. She's suffering with terminal cancer, Father. The pain I've caused her with the way I've lived my life apparently has been worse than any pain she suffers from the cancer. I brought the package to Mom, and she told me to open it. I did, and found a small note inside that Mom asked me to read. It was written in her handwriting. This was what the note said, A beautiful remembrance of the happiest day of Anne's life. When I finished reading it, I looked at Mom. I realized it was the only way she could tell me how much it hurt her that I failed to live a good life and receive the sacraments as I should, because when I reached into the box, I picked up my white, clean, First Holy Communion dress. It was a picture of my soul on the day of my first Holy Communion, but now my soul is black with sin. I took the dress and ran from the room. I threw myself on my bed and cried into that pretty white reminder of the happiest day of my life. Now, Father, you know why I want to go to confession. Mortal sin kept Anne from going to communion. Anne was happy as long as she was near Jesus in frequent communion. 
As soon as she withdrew from his friendship and failed to receive the strength of his grace, she fell into greater sins, making her life miserable. The thought of her first Holy Communion and so many communions since made her want to go to confession so she could be freed from sin and be able to receive her best friend again. Is your soul as clean, white, and innocent as the day you received your first Holy Communion? Hey, six-packers, that's all for this episode. I've enjoyed having you with me. Don't forget to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter. The links are in my show notes. Also, remember to visit joesixpackanswers.com to sign up for my free email course. Each short lesson arrives in your inbox every three days. We also have the Cantankerous Catholic Social Media Group you can join to discuss anything about Catholicism, our country, or anything else on your mind. I visit the page every day. The link's also in my show notes. There are lots of other neat things of interest in my show notes, too. You can find them at cantankerouscatholic.com. And remember to live by the Joe Sixpack battle cry. Comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.